You are listening to the Heavenly Chi podcast, episode number 68. Today I'm joined by the delightful Sharon Weisenbaum, and we're going to be discussing some pretty cool stuff today. We're going to see, we're going to see where this conversation goes, but we're talking about Sharon's journey as a Chinese medicine practitioner and how how her relationship with nature and the medicine have evolved over the years. Welcome to the show, Sharon. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Claire. It's such a pleasure to be here. So this topic that um, we're going to be discussing today, it, it has me feeling almost a little bit excited. I got a little bit of a preview just before as we were discussing where we were going to go with today's episode, but I really loved, I really loved the intro that you gave to me. So do you want to try and recreate that for our audience today? Yeah, thank you. I'm going to be 66 in two weeks. And I think I've been practicing 40 years. And I think that as one gets older, or at least for me, there's sort of this um, sense of, you know, what's my legacy and where did I come from? And you know, how did it, how did I form to be the kind of person I am, the kind of practitioner I am? And, and how, how do all the experiences of my life sort of fit together? And what do I want to say about that? It's a reflective time as you get over older, it's a really reflective time. So I have been doing that quite a bit. And one reason I've been thinking about it a lot as well, is because in the last year and a half, I would say, I've become very involved with a, a group of people and we're working in my town and beyond my town because um, there's a huge movement to build tons and tons of solar. And there's a big industry that's really taking advantage of this impulse to lower our our use of fossil fuels and so build lots of solar. But the companies who are doing it are not always, you know, thinking about the, the needs of the planet or the needs of a local community. And so um, where I live, it's very, very forested and it's an incredible contiguous forest. And so there's a threat to that more than 400 acres are being threatened to be clear cut. Some of it is like right behind my house. Um, and this forest is so personally important to me. Wow, how many years is it? Probably 25 years I've been horseback riding in this forest. Like the farm that I live on now, I used to board my horses here. And so this forest I'm incredibly familiar with. I know all the plants. I know where to find all the mushrooms. You know, I'm in that forest every day and have been for many, many years. Um, and so it's it, it, it was clear to me when I found out that there was this threat happening. I felt that, oh, this forest, it's, it's become part of me and it's in some ways informed my work so deeply. And it's really also healed me on a personal level. So I have felt that the forest is actually imploring me to work on its behalf, that I don't really have a choice. 
it's moving in me and saying this can't happen. You know, it can't happen. And so um, it, I've been really very active in this movement. And part of it is um, I've learned a lot about the way the forest works and, you know, how, the for- how important the forest is for our resilience to the way that the climate is changing already. You know, that without the forest, we're so much more vulnerable and how much the forests protect us and help us. Just very, very beautiful. Um, and and in some ways, it's been a wonderful journey because I've met incredible people and and we've made a lot of progress too. I think we're actually going to win. I think we're going to stop it, at least locally here. But it's a it's a huge problem all over the state, all over New England, all over the country, all over the world. You know that there's this very aggressive hungry industry that's taking advantage of our fear about climate change and, you know, sort of another step of kind of destroying our planet for, you know, some good idea for people and destroying many beings in the process. Well, it's so crazy. The whole point of renewable energy is exactly as you say, is to reduce our footprint, to reduce our impact on the environment and to cut down forest. In service of that goal is just, it it makes, it makes no sense. Like put it in the desert or put it in like somewhere where it just, where it's not going to have a huge impact. Yeah, but it's all, it's all, it's interesting, you know, it's all money and, you know, so who owns the land? And so the landowner can make so much money leasing the land to these companies. So who owns the land? And, you know, there, there's so many reasons why it's financially beneficial for them to actually clear cut the forest rather than build it on a landfill or some already degraded land. You know, I've, I've learned so much about this whole, you know, the, the politics of it, the economics of it, the, um, the biology of it, the eco-biology of it all. And so being involved with this, it's it's really stimulated my recognition and appreciation of how much I love the forest. And when I say the forest, I mean so much more than just the trees, but the, the soil underneath that's filled with mycelium, you know, that grows all these mushrooms that I love to forage. And you know, all of the plants and the animals and the salamanders, everything, the birds that live there um, and the way that they all, the way that we're all so mutually dependent, you know, that we're all part of each other and we depend on each other. And so, you know, that's had me really think about, I grew up where I had a tremendous amount of freedom and I grew up in the woods and I spent so much time just being in a very imaginative, connected relationship with nature and, you know, a lot of riding horses (laughs) in nature. Like I haven't changed a bit. (laughs) In fact, like what we used to do as kids, we used to like build these little towns and we would build huts in the forest and and I would always um, pretend that I knew that these plants, you know, could do these things. And I would pretend that I was like 
the healer for all the imaginary animals and all the imaginary or the people that were there, you know, that I would make little shelves and have little medicines on my shelf. And I had out in the field, there were all of my horses, you know, and of course I had an Arabian and a Morgan and (laughs) all of it in my imagination. I love that your apprenticeship started at such a young age. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, You know, now I look at my life and it's like, oh, I'm playing the same game. You know, there's my little (laughs) hut and there's my horses out in the field and they all come when I call them, you know, just like in my imagination. Yeah. And so it was, you know, it really entered my being. I feel like nature, you know, I was sort of immersed and it imprinted itself upon me. And and so, you know, then coming upon Chinese medicine, it felt very resonant to me. Just it's so earthy, isn't it? Like, you know, if it's hot, you cool it down. And if it's cold, you warm it up and you bring in fluids or you dry things out. You know, it's so practical and direct. And I just loved that. And I felt like actually learning that was so consistent with who I was. And it also seemed like it would give me a way to be beneficial to my community so that I could live in the country. I could live in the forest and and have something to offer and that my, then my community could help support me. And, uh, and that certainly has worked out. You know, then when, and it was maybe, I can't remember, 15, 20 years ago that I started getting more involved with um, classical formulas. And that was like this whole new connection, you know, where all kinds of things fell into place for me. And the reason why classical formulas resonated so deeply isn't, isn't just because they're such elegant formulas and they work so well, which they do, but it's also the vision that the classical way of looking at things starts from. And for me, the way that I've seen it and the way that I teach it is kind of directly from the Huangdi Neijing. And you know, the Huangdi Neijing is completely about our relationship with nature. The whole thing is just like you are so connected to nature. And 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 these move this circular dynamic of the the celestial bodies and your place on earth relative to that and being kind of connected to everything and aligned with everything is health you now being aligned with this time and space is health and all the ways that that can where you can be um off and misaligned in your relationship with nature and what happens when you are misaligned that way. And so in terms of Chinese herbal medicine, you know, this particular view that I carry about the Shanghan Mun and the Shanghan Zabing Mun, the Jingwei Yaloi and the Shanghan Mun is really that it comes directly out of that Neijing viewpoint. So, you know, different classical formula practitioners and teachers see the text differently. But for me, you know, there was just a moment where I had been studying the Shanghan Lun 
and studying and studying and and I felt like I'm missing something like I can read all the lines and understand the things about the formulas and what they do but it felt very linear like there's this and there's this and there's this and there's this you know and there's the six confirmations and they're all in a line and there was really a moment where I kind of learned that it's all about the movement of the sun around the earth. And of course, the sun doesn't move around the earth. We know that. But the apparent movement of the sun around the earth. And I suddenly like saw it that there was Taeyang in the morning. And Yang Ming is like in the south. And is the peak of the midday or the peak of the summer. And Xiaoyang is the pivot from the yang to the yin at the western horizon, pivoting from yang to yin. And then the yin confirmations are sort of what are related to internal, to the internal. And it goes from taiyin to shaoyin to zhuiyin. And then zhuiyin gives birth again to taiyang. And that it's circular. And it's like so obvious. Once I got it, it was like, oh, oh. And all the formulas sort of like fell into place. Like they, everything made so much sense to me in a way that it just hadn't. It was just many, many pieces that I had to kind of memorize. But suddenly they fit into a pattern. And, and you know, I had always learned that you know, Taeyang was on the outside and it went deeper, deeper, deeper. And Zhuiyin is inside and it's really deep. And it's, and I always learned it's about pathogens getting in and they go deeper, deeper, deeper. And once it's in Zhuiyin, oh, you're really screwed. <laughs> and there's no way out, you know? And it's so not like that. It's so not like that. It's, um, it's each of the confirmations is, Actually, in my in my course, I do a two year course called the Graduate Mentorship Program, and um, and what we're learning about is the Great Turning and this Great Turning that is happening all around us and inside of us as well. Um, and really, health is our alignment to that. And each of the confirmations, they're not locations in our body, they're not channels on our body, they're great sweeping motions. They're, I call them great sweeping motions. So then when you learn the physiology of the human being relative to that, you're, you're always thinking about this wheel that's inside of our bodies that's connected to the wheel outside of our bodies. And they're cycles within cycles, you know, the cycle of the sun, the cycle of the moon, the breath cycle, the pulse cycle, the menstrual cycle, the digestive cycle, you know, going at different speeds, but all cycling constantly. And pathology is when one of these cycles is going too fast for time. You know, time is going this fast, but my body's going much faster, you know, which means always if your body is going too fast, like for example, I eat something and it takes a certain amount of time for it to move through my body before I evacuate it. If my body is going too fast for time, I might have diarrhea. No, it's supposed to take this long, 
but instead it's going much faster. So it's always like leaking something. If you're going too fast for time, something's leaking out that should be held longer. And then there's going too slow for time. You know, like again with the digestive system, like then you're supposed to poop. And if you don't, your body's going too slow, then we call that pathology. You know, it's called constipation. Um, Because time has this rhythm and our bodies are, um, when we're well, our bodies are really resonating with these natural rhythms. And so when we're diagnosing, we're actually looking like where, where is your body moving too fast or too slow for time? And how do we align you with these natural rhythms? The way that I teach there, we don't really think about pathogens, you know, because when our bodies are right with time, our bodies are constantly taking things in and pushing things out. Like life is permeable. We're taking in things, breathing and eating and, you know, all kinds of things, including toxic things all the time. And our bodies are these instruments that know how to process things. And so the vision of the formulas is how do I, uh, how do I look at what's happening in the body? Not like what pathogen got in, but what, what did the pathogen do to the body so that now it's not functioning properly? And that when we restore function, then our bodies are the thing that know how to rebalance us when they're healthy. No. So to me, the whole idea of like finding the pathogen and getting it out is sort of a more dualistic, westernized way of looking at things that wasn't the vision of the Hongdi Neijing, you know? So that's kind of going off, I guess. Tangents are always welcome, Sharon. You know, like it's it's the stream of consciousness. It's it's so it's such a joy to observe and to you know to soak it up. Just where it all goes in your mind, it's it's a nice experience. It's a nice experience to be on the other end of to be receiving. (laughs) It's great, and I love your um, anyone that hasn't done any of Sharon's courses I love your your spinning wheel visual that you um that you show in your um in your Mm. slide presentations it's really um it it really just helps to open up so many of the concepts that you know otherwise it just didn't make sense to me either it's like this this one way it's like a one it's like watching a car crash in slow motion it's like once you get to Dre Yin that's it you know and trying to chase these pathogens as they you know as they get deeper and deeper into the body and what if it goes straight to Tai Yin and you know all of those questions around um it that never it, made any sense to me and it and it always made me feel like like we were so vulnerable and and that there was this inevitability that was at play that was you know it's just this constant fight to be alive was the kind of vibe that I got from yeah and there's all these things out there that can get you they can they're outside of you and they can get in you and do all this stuff and you have to get them out of you you know rather than 
it's natural. I have to stay open to life. And so life comes in. And how is it that I'm processing life? So sort of back to the forest, you know, what the forest and the related ecosystems do is is just incredible, like in terms of processing life. And, you know, one of the things I've learned that forests do, and just a little bit of background, like I'm like behind me, it goes uphill. And this town is basically a, a small mountain, it's very small compared to people out west or something like that. But it's it's uh, 1,230 feet. So a little mountain for us. And um, and so I'm kind of downhill from the mountain. And then the reservoir, the town water supply is just a little bit, it's right over there and it's just a little bit lower. And so the, the whole town is sort of this watershed into the drinking water. And so, but one thing that trees do this forest is they absorb like gallons and gallons of water and the water has pollutants in them. Some of them are even natural pollutants, but a lot of, um, you know, unnatural pollutants of fertilizers and air pollution and, you know, that gets into the soil. The trees actually suck that up and they, most of it is potassium nitrogen based chemicals and they transform that into life they transform it into pine needles and you know oak leaves and things like that they they take that and and if you clear-cut land especially on a mountain like ours then when it rains it washes over the soil and none of that none of those pollutants get purified but because they sort of generate growth, then it gets into the water supply and creates algae instead. And then, you know, clogs up the drinking water and makes it more vulnerable and more polluted and more clogged up. Um, you know, so really the, the forests are protecting our water. And, um, and you know, so if we think of that in our own bodies, like we have this mechanism that can take things in and know what to do with it in order to promote my own life. And, you know, so keeping the body ecosystem, you know, in a way, leaving it alone. And, you know, of course we're doctors. And so we don't leave the body alone. We do things to the body, but what exactly are we doing? We're, we're in my mind, and that I think that the vision of the classical texts is that what we're doing is sort of aligning things right so all the natural processes can then work for our benefit. You know, where I think a more modern version of Chinese medicine is that I'm actually treating this disease, you know, and rather than no, my body knows how to work with that disease when it's aligned. Yeah, and when it's well-resourced to be able to do the things that it's trying to do anyway, like the body. It's trying to do it anyway, exactly. The body's yeah. always just doing its best. It really is like 
our bodies are always trying to adapt. You know, there's new chemicals and new compounds and, you know, life is different now than it was 2,000 years ago. But, you know, we've got different influences that are coming our way, but our body still has the ability to adapt. Yeah. So how do we support it so it can do what it does best, which is to generate our very bodies, you know, to create us and to, you know, keep us well. Um, You know, and also, you know, now I have a farm and my daughter is a, she lives here and she's a farmer, you know, so I, that also really connects me to um, the land and growth, um, growth cycles. So she does permaculture and, you know, part of it is like, how do I set it up that all I do is get things in the right positions at the right time. And then the wind and the sun and the rain and the dryness, like the chi of nature grows life, you know? And so, you know, the farmer doesn't grow it, (laughs) you know, doesn't grow it. And, you know, what do we do in modern agriculture? You know, we kind of, we try to control everything and modern medicine tries to control everything. And this incredible instrument we have, like our bodies are so intelligent beyond anything science can offer. And that's so clear in permaculture um, and in the forest, you know, that these, that there's an intelligence there that knows how to work as a comprehensive body to do everything in a really balanced way. I was thinking also about the forest on the hill and how when they also, you know, we've got wood controlling earth, you know, and all of the roots and the soil, the roots are in the soil and the, the associated mycelium, it's all holding that earth in place and also kind of absorbing water into the soil, but also draining it. But it it also slow the trees slow the water down. And when the trees are gone, the water just rushes along the surface and it doesn't have time to drip down into the aquifers. And the aquifers are where the water in our wells comes from. It's incredibly pure water. You know, we we have well water here and um and all my whole town is on well water. And so it depends on these aquifers that the trees help keep full. You know, like without them, the aquifers will dry up. Um, and I think from a in our own bodies, that's so interesting to think about like when we drink the capillaries and the the flesh of like like in the small intestine, really, like at the kind of Western small intestine with these like millions of little capillaries that absorb the liquids into our body. And if there's a problem with that, like a dryness, we drink and the water just goes right out of us. And that's actually very common when you ask people and they're thirsty and do you pee right after you drink? That's called dispersion thirst. And it's very problematic to not be absorbing water into our bodies like we have that wood element our bodies are exactly like that you know we soak up the water and then we evaporate it up 
rapports into the air and there's this constant water metabolism going on in our bodies, cycling water through that I think is just so beautiful. Like I feel so connected to my body and the body of the tree. Yeah. I sometimes feel like I'm a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You know, this whole conversation is reminding me of a of a book that that I've read. I've I came across it a couple of years ago. A, a, a man by the name of Peter Wallaben. I think that's how you pronounce it. Oh, yeah. I've read that book. The Hidden Life um, of Trees. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Amazing. This this man who was um you can buy it online at Amazon, any kind of store. It's called The Hidden Life of Trees. And this man who was, I think he was a um he used to chop down trees for a living. And he started paying more and more attention to what was going on. And he noticed, um, he was noticing things and noticing that if a tree had fallen down in a forest, that sometimes it didn't die, that, you know, there were other trees that would kind of be feeding it nutrients and that there was like a community within, within the trees and almost like a, a grieving process or a, you know, there was like a healing process and, and the tree, you know, so he he became less and less congruent with the idea of chopping down trees for a living and eventually kind of morphed into this tree-loving guy, I guess, and um, mm. hence, hence he wrote his book. Um, but the the full title of the book, I've just looked it up, The Hidden Life of Trees, What They Feel, How They Communicate, Discoveries from a Secret World, and and there's all, oh, it's just delightful to, to read and to experience. You know, you can even just get a quick digest from looking at some of his online material. But the way that trees communicate with each other, they communicate about impending danger, they'll look after one another, they'll deliver nutrients um, to one another via root systems. Um, they have entire communities. It's, it, it, you know, it's almost like, your imaginary village that you had when you're a child of like all of the the parts of the forest communicating with each other and um and to know this about plants in general I'm sure trees aren't the only plants that have these right. these community this this innate sense of community that um you know plants are living sentient beings and that um you know and they have all these amazing, um, you know, they care for one another and, you know, and it's so, it's such a great position for us to be in as, as healers. And we have access to understand these plants and how they work. And we can also use their medicine for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's another book I um, read recently called The Mother Tree by a woman named Suzanne Samard. And it's similar. She grew up in a logging family and sort of had an awakening about trees and became a, a kind of ecobiologist. And um, and it's it's also just incredibly beautiful. And she talks about this kind of phenomena of this very old tree that becomes like the mother tree, um, you know, nurturing, having this nurturing relationship to the community around it. And it really... Um, struck me in terms of this organization that I 
created in the last couple of years called the White Pine Circle. It's like named after my favorite tree. Um, and I think as we get older in our practices, um, it seems natural if you're kind of a forest, you know, if that's what we are, I'm a tree in a forest, you know, what do trees do? And when you get to be an old tree, you start nurturing those around you. And, and even just today, one of my longtime students taught a class and, um, you know, and it, it was so wonderful to go to that class and listen to him and see how the things that I had taught him were integrated, but also he integrated things from other teachers and he had become like his own expression, you know, and, and, and I have um, now, cause I've been doing it so long. I have lots of students who are starting to teach and they each have their own sensibility. And, you know, for many of them, I'm like one of their teachers and they have other influences as well. And so it's all, you know, similar, but each one is unique and, and the white pine circle is really to nurture. You know, we have lots of um, um, we support teachers to teach, so that practitioners can be supported by really quality teachings. And and it's a community. Um, and and so it kind of feels like a forest. You know, it like doesn't feel any different than the way that um, I imagine forests and. And another part of that is that I've also kind of, I'm now like dis disengaging from the white pine circle. Like it, it's so cool because now it has like this life of its own. Like there's all these teachers and people doing things and I don't need to be there anymore. You know, <laughs> like I was sort of like the, the mother, like there's a sense of um, it, how do I set things up? So it's okay if I die, you know, because we're all going to die. And I think as you get older, it's like, how do I set things up that I'm, I'm passing on the things that I love and hopefully they're nourishing to other people. Um, and, you know, and then I, in that way, there's a sense of, Oh, my life will continue in all these new forms, you know, that I don't have to do it anymore. Other people can take over. Um, so, you know, and I think that's how the forest works as well. Like the trees falling and new ones coming up and they're all supporting each other to continue to live. Yeah. It's such a beautiful concept, you know, that there's there's this community that's kind of, it's it's so much bigger than just one person, so much bigger than just one tree. Like there might be a, a main tree or a mother tree or a, a mother hen of a of a group. Yeah. And then eventually everyone kind of grows up and and becomes self you know self sufficient and and also able to take over those kind of leadership roles and um Exactly. Yeah. And I love that we see that mirrored in nature as well as in our own communities. And there's kind of symbiotic communities there might be you know they like my little community, but it's symbiotic with other little communities. Like, um, like your podcast is another little beautiful expression of something that wants, that's from your experience, wanting to give to others, 
you know, and and plant seeds that can then grow. And so these communities end up interacting with each other. So it becomes like a web, like a like a global kind of forest in in my vision of it, you know. And we don't want to clear cut forests, you know, we don't want to, they're so precious. And uh and now, you know, already I think 50 more than 50% of the forests on the planet have already been clear cut. And so each one feels so, especially a nice contiguous forest that has, you know, a lot of biodiversity is super, super important to protect. Yeah. Yeah. And our own, our, our own visions, you know, each of our visions is, you know, is so important, um, you know, just to be able to support each other in each of our visions of, of East Asian medicine. Uh, is really beautiful to me. Yeah, yeah, I think so. We've seen that so much more in the last few years in particular where there's so many more little communities that have kind of sprung up and, you know, with the pandemic and we've all been kind of forced to change the way that we do things and it's in many ways it's been a blessing. It's kind of like springboarded you know, so many more people to connect to otherwise wouldn't have had the impetus because we were mm-hmm. so focused on face-to-face teaching or face-to-face interaction. It's not the same if it's on if it's online, but we're finding that it's actually okay. We can connect with each other online and we've got all of these amazing communities of of people who are joining from all over the world and right. and aligning with these really um, you know, there's some really great quite niche kind of ideas and um and groups and and lineages they're gaining a lot of a lot of energy and focus yeah yeah and being being able to be disseminated and yet having some continuity as well yeah 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 and it's it's great it's um there's there's so much more ability for people who have things to share and have things to offer to their peers and their colleagues. It's um, there's so much more available now in the last in the last few years, and I love that. And I love what you've done with White Pine Circle as well. Like it's it's such a great community that you've created, and it's it's like its own forest. It's um, yeah, it's really quite fabulous. Yeah, it is, and it kind of follows the principles of permaculture. You know where everything sort of goes back to the farm in order to nurture the farm to give back to us. And, and, you know, where the white pine circle is supported by members so it can go back to the members and it, it, we support our teachers very well, you know, so that the, we're kind of really valuing the gold and giving a lot to our teachers so that, you know, then they can really feed the community. And so it it's an ecosystem. It's actually an ecosystem. And I love the principles of, of it, you know, um, as, as opposed to just a, a business or something, you know, um, it's, uh, it's got a different value system within it, which is really, really cool. You know, and then we have a wonderful kind of, it's like a, a board of directors is sort of the core, this wonderful group of women. You know, seeing this expression of the circle 
everywhere, you know, and and the the aligning with the circle as the expression of well-being and you know aligning with the circle within myself and letting my vision come from that and is I think the heart of East Asian medicine. I agree. Plus it's really effective. (laughs) I think seeing that way, you're restoring function and um, you can have an impact on the body when you restore function. That's really different than just tonifying the chi or moving the chi or vitalizing the blood. You know, not that there's... You know, and we do that as well with classical formulas, but it's it's restoring the body's function of doing that for itself. That's a principle underneath. So it can actually be very powerful in a way that um, if we try to do it for the body, it's a, it's a little different. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think what you're saying is it's not just a matter of, oh, there's not enough blood here. I'm going to tip some blood in. I'm going to pour in some blood tonics and that's going to solve it. And, you know, so many times we've all had experience where it just doesn't work. You can't just push the button and then the blood appears. You've got to look at, well, what's what's gone wrong? Like what's not happening and how do I support that process to yeah. restart? Yes, yes. Yeah. And exactly. we've, you know, and they're, you know, just that very, um, in so many so many discussions in the last couple of months online I've seen around people saying oh I have this patient that has chronic anemia and they're having iron infusions and then it's the iron just disappears where does it go and they just need to have iron infusions all the time and you know we need to kind of take that step back and go okay well what's going wrong like it's the iron's going somewhere (laughs) it's either being bled out or maybe it's stuck in the tissues or it's our diagnostic methods will tell us what's going wrong you know we have that ability um and i was just um teaching um the other day now i can't remember when was it yesterday yeah and um and had a slide you know of a red herring that's saying i'm here to distract you and just that the biggest red herring of all is the person's main complaint, you know, their disease is like, it can get you so distracted, you know, from seeing what's actually going on with your patient. Like, how do I treat diabetes? How do I treat anemia? You know, it's like, you don't actually, you know, forget that they have that and, and then see what's going on with their, their dynamic and see if you, if what you see in there in your diagnosis can help explain why they have diabetes or why they have anemia rather than how do I, it's not the right question to think even, how do I treat constipation? How do I treat anemia? How do I treat headaches? Isn't the right question. It's really um, what's my diagnosis and that how does that help me see why they have headaches? Um, so that's why like in the, graduate mentorship program, we spend a lot of time on learning how to not jump to conclusions and see what's actually going on and come to a diagnosis that we can actually articulate that kind of encompasses the whole terrain of the person's body relative to nature. Yeah, it's it's like the, um, you know, I remember being an, 
a new graduate um, in the first couple of years out in practice and having those experiences, unfortunately, on my own at that point, I didn't have, um, I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have people I could reach out to. And it was before, you know, there was so much online communities that people could reach out to for support as well. And, um, (laughs) and, um, you know, there was a gynecology case I was treating and this woman that had, um, fibroids and very, very heavy bleeding. And, and I felt so torn because, I, it seemed as though she needed, like from a Chinese medicine diagnosis point of view, that some blood invigoration needed to be happening and um, that there was a lot of stagnation. And and part of me felt, okay, I've got to be confident here in my Chinese medicine diagnosis, but am I really going to be like invigorating blood in this woman who's just hemorrhaging every month when she's having her period? And yeah, it's it's that idea of the the red herring can really it, it's so much more than a distraction like it really can can be quite a confidence shaker and it can be yes. something that can completely it, it leaves us feeling so vulnerable and not knowing and um it it can cause a really a really strong crisis within i think sometimes even for me now and you know i'm what in my 18th year of practice this year and even now there's times where I think oh okay have I got this diagnosis right because I'm about to do something that on face value seems like the opposite thing mm-hmm. and it's you know I think we I think it's important to acknowledge when we have those moments because they're um as you say it's important not to jump to conclusions and to and to be sure that you're coming from a solid diagnosis and a solid treatment foundation and having that um yeah yeah having that solid um, foundation with you know um shifting over time to kind of learning how to diagnose because I don't think we actually learn how to diagnose very well in our initial education and so really figuring out how to do that. Um, you know, I know in, in, in my own trajectory, I remember being a young practitioner and having cancer patients and thinking, how do I treat cancer, you know, and looking at books on herbs for cancer and things like that. And, um, and just feeling like I was, you know, copying formulas from the book and giving people, you know, anti-neoplastic formulas and, and just how different things are now. I'm thinking of somebody who came to me with, he had, he had pancreatic and prostate cancer and was kind of considered terminal. And it's so, it, it becomes really fun in a way, like forget that he has cancer, what's going on? And, and I remember his formula, he, he had um, obstructed urination, you know, he had to catheterize um, really regularly because he had inhibited urination. And, and what I found in working with prostates is, you know, forget that they have enlarged prostate, you know, just treat what you see, which is almost always inhibited urination, you know. And so I, I, I had a formula, I think it was like a Sunnison with added fooling, but also he, he had 
a mixed hot and cold pattern and really poor appetite and distension. And so I integrated Bansha Sheshantang in and he ended up living well for four years. Like he played racquetball until two weeks before he died. Wow. And it was really just like, how do I help his body work better? You know, we never made his cancer go away, but he was expected to live another three weeks and he did really well. And it's so exciting to me, like to have those principles really um, borne out, you know, like, like I can trust Chinese medicine to guide me in the right direction. You know, if I really learn and study and get what these principles are, then I can trust them to really guide me. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of someone else who had fibroids and heavy bleeding. And I, this was actually what I was teaching about yesterday was um, like tips and tricks for bleeding, uterine bleeding was the class. And, um, and uh, so I talked about this. It was like this first case where I decided like she was very kidney chi and yin deficient, heavy bleeding. And the way she came in and the way her doctors frame it is you're bleeding heavily because you have fibroids. That's why you're bleeding heavily. And so as a Chinese medicine practitioner, we can think, how do I get rid of fibroids? You know, like they're bleeding heavily because of fibroids. How do I get rid of fibroids? So, but that's not the right way to think, you know, you, and so she was like, and this was a long time ago, uh, probably like 25 years ago that I treated her for this. And it was sort of, I'm going to completely trust this. And I decided to focus on everything that I saw, which was kidney chi and yin deficiency with heavy bleeding. So I gave her herbs to um, stop bleeding in a way that supplemented her kidney chi in order to absorb what she was losing and, um, and enrich her yin. And, um, and so the bleeding got regulated and lo and behold, the fibroids were smaller. And it was like, oh my God. <laughs> it's almost yeah. like the fibroids were the body's attempt of like, we're just trying to hold on to something, you know, yeah. like we don't want to lose this much. I haven't, you know, I can't afford this amount of loss. I'll just hold on to whatever I can. Pathologically grabbing on, exactly. Yeah, yeah and that the, the reason for the bleeding and the reason for the fibroid were the same thing, you know, that it was the kidney chi and yin deficiency, you know, but if we just see the fibroid and like, oh, it's a lump, I have to get rid of a lump, I have to crack stasis and I, you know, and your, your vision is on how do I get rid of a fibroid and you forget about the person. Yeah. Um, you know, our patients come in with it, the doctors bring it in and it's, it's a lot of discipline to say, okay, forget that they have fibroids and even forget that they're even bleeding heavily and just diagnose your patient and then bring the bleeding back in. So now that I have a diagnosis, why are they bleeding so heavily? Yeah. You know? But even just like, how do I stop bleeding can be a red herring, you know? So it, it's a discipline I try to teach my students, like forget about that. And you have to see who it is that is having this pathology and what else is going on. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to circle back and 
ask you another question about the forest because you mentioned that you have your amazing forest. It sounds sounds quite amazing and that you've lived there for 25 years and you, you know where everything is, you know where all the herbs are, all the mushrooms. And I'm just curious to know what your, you know, because obviously you have a really close relationship with the particular plants that are in your area and that you know the time of year that they're available, when to harvest them, the type of conditions that, you know, in particular years is going to be more conducive to those plants, being available for longer period of time or for a shorter period of time or having a greater potency. And I just wondered like what you've noticed about that. Like are the medicines available at the times that you need them or do you need to kind of like harvest them and dry them out or prepare them in some way and then they're available kind of at a different time of year when they're more likely to be of use. Like it's something I've always I've always wondered about. And so I just wondered what you've observed about your area. Yeah, I mean, actually, I'm not a Western herbalist. And I think my in my initial fascination with East Asian medicine and those principles has really been my path. And so I don't, in a in a big way, I don't collect herbs in the forest. I know some about that, but in terms of my practice, I don't use wild foraged herbs. And I think if I, you know, had it all to do over again, or I, you know, I was magically 20 years old again, I would, you know, want to um, make it uh, part of my path to how do we apply all these beautiful principles to the plants that are growing here? Um, and I, I think it's, it, it's something I would love to see people doing more of, you know, so that we can stay even more and more local in terms of our, you know, what we're dependent on. We can be dependent on what grows in our area. Um, so, you know, in that way, I don't know a lot about harvesting herbs and medicines. Um, definitely with mushrooms, I watch these cycles and see there, there are definitely cycles. Like last year, there were no linger mushrooms at all. You know, there's a lot of them that grow in the forest right nearby, lots and lots um, of reishi mushrooms, you know, which are in Chinese, it's lingzhu, and it's a beautiful medicine, and it's not an edible mushroom, you know, but it's a medicinal mushroom, and last year there were none, and it was a very wet summer, so oh my god, the maitakis and the black trumpets were like wild last summer, it was so great. Um, and I don't know what this summer will bring. And, you know, and often if there's a flush in one summer, then it's even if the conditions are right, it's not the same the next summer. You know, it takes a little while. Like the last flush we had, like last summer, was three years previous to that. Um, but now the reishis are going crazy out in the woods and it's almost time to harvest them. You know, you have to wait until they've been dropping their spore already. Now they've reproduced and it's okay to harvest them. And lingzhu is one um, mushroom, one medicine that I actually do harvest. And I, um, I think, 
you know, the, like mushrooms and their kind of potency for immunity and things like that have gained a lot of uh, popularity. And I don't think of it as kind of like this immune herb because for me, what is the immune system? It's like the sum total of my body working well, you know, and there, there's no such thing as an immune system from a Chinese medicine point of view outside of our wheel functioning well. Um, but I think that there are qualities of Lingzhou that do make it very special. Um, I think that it um, it's uh, chalky, like fooling, you know? And so for me, chalky herbs help in my absorption as well as my draining of water, you know? So like healthy soil, not only, like we know this in the garden, when the soil is healthy, it's drought and flood resistant, both, you know? And so our bodies are the same and the chalky herbs like fooling and linger really help our bodies absorb. But linger is different than fooling because fooling is, is white and linger is not only red, uh, it's also um, shiny. And so that's why it's got this ling, this spirit it's got, and why it also entered, goes to the heart. And so for me, it's, um, in a way, the color is similar to rogue or guajer, that sort of reddy brown. So it enters the heart and it enters the blood. And I think it really helps the blood fluid balance. And so many of our modern illnesses, are, our blood is it doesn't have enough fluid in it. Our blood is thick. There's so many diseases of thick blood. And so to me, the reason why Linger is so good for our health in a general way is because of the way it improves our blood. And the, the red also means that it enters our hearts and helps our, our heart function on a, a physical as well as a spiritual level. And so, Another tangent, right? Um, but uh, I'm excited about the linger that's popping up everywhere. Um, so this year, and there there having been none the year before. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like a great year to nourish the heart and to, mm-hmm. you know, and it's I guess you're, you know, in summer where you are now. Right. Almost the solstice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're a week away, a few days mm-hmm. away from the solstice. And so do you see any, um, like when will the lingja be ready to harvest? It might be ready now. I have to go and check. It sort of just slightly starts to change color, becomes a little yellowy-orange underneath. It's white underneath, and then it gets yellowy-orange when it has released its spore. So I have to go, I have to go check it. Um, yeah. You know, so, just to go out in the forest on a pony. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. You're recreating your childhood every day. Exactly. Yeah. Being the medicine woman, going and collecting your medicines to put on your shelf. Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious. So last year it was like a really wet summer for you. And you were you were saying it was it was too wet for the linger. Do you see that there's any, um, like, is there a different way that people in your local area, that their health is affected by by that weather and 
that the linja is more useful this year for them than it was last you know, year? No, I don't actually know if the reason why there was no linja was because of the wetness. Okay. I don't know okay. that. Like there, there may be other factors, you know. So, yeah. you know, maybe in another 20 years I'll I'll know like I'll I'll be attuned to more subtleties and know ahead of time ah the linger will be good this year, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh yeah, I don't know. It, you know, could have just been it was really abundant the year before. And yeah, I don't know enough about its cycle. So um, but do I notice about the people's changes in the weather? Um, I don't know. I mean, anyone who has more damp is going to feel worse when it's like really wet, you know? And so, you know, it, it, it's so you just, I mean, we all see those things, right? Like people who are really cold you know, winter is hard on them, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah. so I I think that's the only way that I really, it's kind of diagnostic how people um, are with the different conditions. Yeah, I guess we see those seasons in our clinics with our patients that will have, you know, a particularly, I think this year we had a particularly interesting autumn for us or fall you guys call it and there was so many you know and we had all like viral things overlaid and people were either sick with a virus or post-viral cough you know but there was so much so much lung dryness with all of this like phlegm and sticky damp toxic yuck all kind of like intermingled together Mm. and and it's so interesting. I find myself, um, and I'm sure you've noticed this and, and you know, practitioners who are listening have also noticed this with their clinics that kind of go through these runs with, with patients come in. You might have like 10 patients in the course of a month that mm-hmm. all come in. It's like, oh, this is the same thing and I'm giving, you know, almost the same formula to all of them because this is the formula for this month where... Yes you come in with these four or five symptoms and it's almost like we're treating the community and we're treating the, the energy in, in our environment as much as we're treating patients. Yeah. I remember when my daughter was little and going to childcare and, you know, they would say, Oh, there's this cold going around, you know, and, and, you know, because everybody kind of shares the same narrative of where, disease comes from like from this this bacteria that we pass around to each other and um and it's not that that's necessarily wrong but it's also when the weather suddenly got warm in the spring and all the kids took their coats off and then it you know but it was too early and it was actually a little too cold and you know the kids were like I could see the kids all had these same conditions also of weather and you know, sort of, I think as Chinese medicine practitioners, we sort of carry that other view when we see these trends with people getting sick in similar ways, like we're seeing, oh yeah, I noticed what happened with the with the weather, you know, and the season and and you know, even 
this exhausting thing that happened to this whole group of people or, um, yeah, we have an eye for that. Yeah, it, it's something that first occurred to me. I think I was maybe a couple of years out in practice and I'd had these people come in over over the course of a few weeks with a really sore, stiff neck. Like it was almost the exact, you know, they all came in and said, oh, I woke up on such and such a day and my neck was really stiff. And and I think by the fourth person that came in, I said, oh, did you wake up with a stiff neck on this day? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> and they thought I was weird and freaky and kind of like psychic, <laughs> but I was just noticing these patterns in my patients. And it's it's almost like, it's almost like in some ways, I guess you can frame it for yourself in so many ways that you're kind of having this opportunity to learn how to treat this thing. But then you're also, you know, the, the vulnerable people who have that pre-existing weakness or, you know, some kind of propensity to getting afflicted in in that particular way in their body are going to have that the same vulnerability to the seasonal changes mm-hmm. or the energetic changes in in that area at that point in time and I guess that's so much part of the trick of what we do as well is trying to work out what's going on here like you know that I, I remember in my in my old clinic we had um, our front door went straight to outside and so people would kind of like come in and they'd enter the clinic from outside and and we were on top of this hill and it was often quite windy. It was often quite windy. And so in springtime, when it was windy, it was really windy. And I, I remember these days where it was so windy outside and people would come in and they'd be so grumpy and they'd be like, mm. you could just feel the, you could just feel the young energy just like swirling around. And, and um, it's almost like people would blow into the clinic and, and you'd really get to see people's, people's nature is like getting stirred up and some people were invigorated by it and other people were just so, oh, just so grumpy and angry and people mm. coming in with headaches and sinus problems and and it, it's um it's always so I don't know like it, it's almost like a, an inside joke I guess as a Chinese medicine practitioner when we see these when we see these conditions magnified for us and it's it's like our textbooks and our what we learned at school is just brought to life in this kind of caricature. Yeah. Yeah. This um this exaggerated reality. It's um because so much of the time we're looking for the subtlety and then sometimes it's there in like bright neon lights. Right, right. It's it's wonderful to be part of a medicine where you know we're training to notice all these things. I mean, that's that's a not subtle version of it, which is so interesting and and uh, vivid. But we're also training to notice just these kinds of things. And I love being part of a medicine where these things are important, like, you know, just how somebody walks in and what what's going on with them. What is it that they need? It, you know, starts to become clear, like the moment they walk in, if we're perceiving, you know, into that realm and not distracted by the red herring yeah <laughs> you know? yeah exactly yeah. 
Well, wouldn't it be nice if we could go have a cup of tea sometime in real life? Maybe someday we can. Ah, that'd be nice. That'd be nice. Such a lovely conversation and, um, you know, sort of makes me wish we could, oh, let's let's take a walk next week, you know. (laughs) It'd be great. I'd I'd love to come and walk in your forest. It sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds amazing. Yeah. 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 I'd love to. Well, maybe some of our listeners have been sipping on their own cups of tea whilst they're listening to our chat. <laughs> in the uh, Australian winter. Yes. In the middle of Australian winter. And we have listeners all around the world. So that'd be It'd be nice to hear what what you've been up to whilst you've been listening to our episode. I guess this is probably a natural place to to pause this conversation. We can pick up again next time. Thank you so much yeah. for being on the show, Sharon, and um, and to our lovely listeners. Thank you for listening and for continuing to listen to us over the years. And uh, we'd love to hear from you and your feedback and what your thoughts are on this, on these topics that we've covered today. And um, if you'd like to leave us a rating, that would be really great on iTunes or whatever platform you're listening to. You can rate each episode. So um, if you can leave some comments and feedback and rate us, that helps other people to find us too. And um, we'll pop the link to Sharon's White Pine Circle in the show notes. So if you haven't already joined her community then you can take a look it's such a great community to be part of so do go check that out and um, until next time we'll speak to you soon bye for now bye